Welcome to the Information Corner, a broadcast dealing with the news behind the news. Featuring the investigative research of Sam and Trish Britton. And now, here are your hosts, Sam and Trish. Oh, yes, and we're not going to waste any time. We're going to slide right into the broadcast. Uh, Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Live broadcast here. Well, live as far as live. I mean, it's for the week of... Where it, the date we're recording this it's is the sixteenth of, of December. December yes. Okay, so now yeah. you have a, a reference date for this. Yeah. So much information, so little time. We have yes. Alan Watt on with us. He's going to be on with us. Uh, one quick thing I want to throw out though before we bring him up: this is going to be our last broadcast till the first of the year. Till after the first of the year, we're going to take some time off, um, and then we're going to come back after the first of the year, hammering. And we got some exciting news. We're going to be on another network. Also, we're not yeah. leaving Dixie Broadcasting. We're just going to start up another broadcast in addition to, this and one. that one's going to be on a network called Radioactive Talk. So be looking for that after the first of the year. So anyway, without any further ado, we've had this guest on before, and uh, he's a wonderful guest every time we have him. And that's Alan Watt. And Alan, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely a pleasure to have you, as always. And uh, uh, the world just keeps getting stranger and stranger, I guess is a good way to put it. I was uh, commenting to somebody the other day. I said that our broadcast is getting easier and easier to do because there's so so many misguided missiles waiting to go and crash somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we have no lack now of of evidence and proof uh, in the mainstream papers. It's right in your face now as to where the whole world has been designed to go. Yes. Yeah, and I think one of the most crucial points of that, there was a piece, I don't have it cued or I would have uh, played it for the audience. I'll find it. I'll make sure I've got it on a CD. So then we come back uh, after the first of the year, we'll run it. It's uh, Fox Business News talking about how by 2012, the United States, they mentioned the United States. They didn't mention anything specific about Canada, per se, but certainly the United States would become an undeveloped nation. And they're going to help it. And by 2012, (laughs) that the biggest thing they said, and I'm quoting them now, they they said in this particular piece that... um, food would be the biggest thing you'd be looking for on your Christmas list instead of uh, electronic gifts and other things like that. Yes, yes. And again, too, over the many, many, many years you've been watching this whole thing, we've watched them get rid of the small farms that was essential to bring in this agenda. And the United States, mainly since World War I, has been, has been financing this whole world order. They've been policing the world. And all the big economists knew that eventually the U.S. would be so laden with debt they couldn't carry on. But they also wanted to bring the United States down in standards and the other developed countries so they'd merge in a sort of halfway point with the underdeveloped countries. That was the United Nations agenda for an awful long time, and it's still underway. Yeah, and this this explains why... The food on our shelves is becoming less safe and less safe all the time. We're hearing about millamine and food coming in from China. Anybody with half a brain ought to know that you don't buy from your uh, your absolute yeah. enemy, but that's what we're doing. And then yeah. we're so amazed when we find contaminants in our food. And uh, we had the big scare last year over pet food, and now it's uh, melamine uh, not only showing up in grain feed and various other things, but the... Um, the uh, FDA now coming out saying, "Well, a little melamine in your diet's not not real bad not for you. You can ingest you. a little bit; it won't hurt you." Yes, but the biggest supplier of the melamine for the food 
is actually um, an uh, amalgam of corporations in Europe. And uh, they have their own website up there where they're promoting it as a safe product. And they managed to get the FDA in the U.S. to approve it as a food factor because it's a form it technically could be called a type of protein. It doesn't mean that all proteins are good for you, but under that guise, they managed to pass it as safe in food. Yes. Yeah, and keep in mind, you're ingesting plastic for all intents and purposes when you eat this stuff. Uh, this is the um, this is tantamount to eating something like Bakelite or some other hard plastic like <laughs> that. I mean, if you remember melamine, that was in your uh, a lot of your uh, dishes dishes yeah. back in the yeah. 70s and 60s, even for that matter. Uh, it was yeah. in plates that we had certainly at the school I attended. I remember that. Yeah. And it's a hard plastic material. It was invented in Germany uh, from what my uh, research... Yeah, a German went, scientist, a German invented, scientist it in invented it in the 1800s. And uh, it's, uh, it's very hard, in, uh, but it... The, the only reason it went out of favor is because of the... Uh, it's stained and scratched. You can and scratch it and stain thing. it real easy. So a yeah. uh, little history on that for those yeah. who may not be aware. Yeah. But now they want you to eat the stuff. So, uh, well, they've made it into a powder now. We're, we're really getting goofy, aren't we, Alan? It's not so goofy because uh, melamine and all these plastics have been known since the 1890s to literally uh, cause... It's, a, it's an artificial estrogen hormone. Yes. And they know that it makes men effeminate, it makes them more passive. And then when you tie it in with the writings of people like Bertrand Russell, who wrote about the need, and also Charles Galton Darwin, who was a physicist in the 1950s, they were promoting something to be put into the food supply and the water supply that would, that would do this very thing. It would make men more effeminate, and he suggested a form of estrogen while they've been doing it all along. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. Well, one, they, one of the, go ahead, Trisha. If they I'm say sorry. they're going to do something, they've already done they've it. They've already been yeah. doing it. Yeah. yeah. One thing I wanted to ask you, Alan, I was going to one night call in on your show about this, and I didn't get to it, uh, but I'm going to ask you now on the air. It seems funny. I want to get your take on this. It seems funny that while we're poisoning the air with uh, chemtrails, we have this stuff going on with our food supply, but yet we have this all-out campaign against smoking. Now, the reason I bring this up is because one of the things I've noticed in observing smokers, and that is that those who smoke the name brands, the typical stuff you just get off the shelf at any, um, yeah, any store, store yeah. are the ones who have a tendency to have more health problems than those that I have been around who either roll their own yeah. or buy a more natural brand. And I'm finding that all this hype about smoking... Mm-hmm. It's seems to be hype to some extent, but they're going at it the wrong way. It seems as though the people who smoke the natural brands or roll their own or something like that don't have the problems, but see, most people aren't smart enough to figure this out. And I want to get your take on it, what you thought. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, know, I know someone who worked for the marketing uh, uh, agenda um, for the tobacco companies, and she noticed at the time in the 70s all of the really dangerous chemicals that suddenly were ordered to be added to tobacco by the government uh, were, were, were deadly chemicals, and they could not figure out why the government was mandating by law that they had to add them these chemicals to these mainstream tobaccos. Well, we do know that the, the, the part of the plan is to, be, to kill us off, reduce the population. Right. Uh, so I, I think that that's part of it. It is true, the ones who... I can get access to the natural tobacco, uh, don't have these problems at all. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's just an observation, folks. You, you can tell. I mean, uh, I can, I've been around people who smoke the natural brands and their lungs seem to be just as fine as anybody else's. And I'm not advocating picking up smoking or not. I'm just saying that, folks, it's not as cut and dry as you think it is. You have to be, you have to study before you just go out here beating the drum against something. And as you see, I think the important thing is, why would they care about you smoking um, and have campaigns when they are spraying the skies? They know it's causing incredible lung problems with, with, with non-smokers. Um, so it's not because they care about our health. There's got to be another reason for it. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. What do you think your take is on that reason, Alan? Well, I, I think the reason is, is that <coughs> smoking um, stops a lot of the, the stuff from the chemtrails from, from entering the alveolar tissue in the lungs and passing into the bloodstream, I think, is a, a form of a counter to it. I can't see any other explanation because they truly, they don't mind people uh, killing themselves off with heroin, even give them needles and, and they give them um, substitutes for, for heroin and so on. They don't care about that. So why are they so cared about people smoking? Why, what's the big problem with smoking uh, when they're helping other people kill themselves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, I know it's fascinating. You you really have to dig in and really uh, think very carefully because society is just so filled with mixed messages today. Yes, um, you know, British Columbia in Canada. Yeah, uh, there was a video out, and it was for teachers to show or to use to train children under the age of ten how to safely inject needles for heroin use because it was so likely they'd, they'd encounter this in their lifetime. So they're teaching them how to safely give heroin. <laughs> they really care. They really care oh, about the yes. children. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, so much so that now some states, if, you, uh, if you're if you involved with drugs, as long as they get the tax revenue for it, they don't care. You can dope up on whatever you want. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, it, I mean, uh, some of the states now are finding a real... Uh, windfall out of this and uh, it's it's fascinating to watch some of the stupidity that's going on here um well they're just like i say there's just so much going on in the world one of the things i wanted to bring up that we covered before we started the broadcast and i think it was a point so well taken why we have to be so careful and i've been talking to about uh, movements you mean our audience about this a lot about movements infiltration um, groups not being what they think they are or whatever. And on this show, Alan, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, you say whatever the hell you want on this broadcast because um, we don't owe our allegiance to any one particular uh, group. And I'm not saying that to create controversy, but what I am saying, at least not to purposely create controversy, but the truth is the truth and right. the truth has to be laid out. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about is this business of infiltration. You have had a lot of crazy problems that have come up regarding a lot of your writings and your books and various different things that you have talked about on your broadcast, but I would like for the for you to share them on our broadcast, the situation that you've had happen, because I want people to understand that sometimes some of the people within some of these groups are not all they're cracked up to be. Yeah, Um you see, if, you, if someone is getting word, the word out to the public and is making some kind of effect somewhere, you're monitored. Everyone is monitored. And there are different ways to get you off the air or, or simply out of action. And the best way of all, of course, is simply to, to use economics. If they, can, if they can stop money coming in, then you can't, you can't broadcast. You're, you're off doing some other work to survive or something. Yeah. Or you're destitute. And initially when I, I found people... Uh, 
with sites up where they were giving out my books or selling my books at a cheaper price or whatever, I, I thought, well, it's just pure greed. And then it, it hit me. I said, no, it's not just pure greed. Um, there's an organized effort to make sure that, that you end up bringing no money in whatsoever. Uh, that's how it appeared to me. And uh, I, I really think that's one way that they can certainly do it. Um, you will have the crazies out there, who are, and you get a lot of, of opportunists too, who will jump into the Patriot bandwagon yeah. and, and make money for themselves. I had one guy with, who, who was in the 9-11 Truth Movement, he had a big site up, and he was selling my books for half the price. Uh, so I, I'd go for weeks here wondering why I'm getting no mail, and then I find out that he and then other ones are, are selling my books or even giving them away for free, uh, free downloads all over the place. And, yeah. and of course, uh, that isn't helping the movement, because if I go off there, that, well, here's one less voice that you have. That's right. Uh, that's getting to a lot of people. I'm reaching a lot of people. So there's an organized effort at times as well to, to get rid of you. You also get death threats. I mean, I get them, and I follow up on them. Yeah, and uh, I get people who will uh, year after year the same people emerge and they start uh, needling you uh, they call up on the air you know who they are the cops know who they are because I do not take death threats seriously yeah and, uh, and, and not seriously as you say and um, and I've had ones here where they actually said uh, they come up here and you'll find your dog dead you know in the field and then you're next I, I get this kind of stuff so I don't mess around with these guys I just I just deal with them right away. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So absolutely. you have the crazy ones, you have the ones who are organized, uh, you have the ones who may, you have very young people who are, who are mistakenly thinking they're getting the word out, but they're not helping me by giving out my stuff for free. Well, that's right. And the thing is, I mean, uh, there's so many of us that are out here doing various things. One of the things I'm finding, Alan, as we move along, you know where the real people are trying to do the work because... They're usually hanging out on a shoestring. They don't have much to work with to begin with, yes. but they're giving it all they've got. They're giving it every bit of mustard they can possibly deliver. Mm -hmm. And then you have these people that will come in and uh, these various other groups that sometimes are very well funded when they infiltrate these groups. And I'm, yes. I'm, I'm thinking of the one you mentioned specifically, 9-11 Truth, because um, I've, been, I've been suspicious ever since this same group that claims to want to come and uh, find out what happened on 9-11, wants to have an international solution to the problem, what does that do? That plays into world government because it's stating that, well, we here in the United States, that we're so far gone that we don't have the ability to investigate 9-11, and so we have to bring in a world body or some international body to do it. So that was some of my first some of my first suspicion that something was horribly wrong when you have people that'll grab that'll uh, grovel back to international law to solve solve all of our problems and that should raise a red flag with everybody don't you think it should because definitely the united nations is set up to become at least the front for world government as though it was some kind of more uh, altruistic body that can be found elsewhere and as though the people involved in it were somehow more holy than other people uh, and that isn't the case at all. Uh, the UN is a very sinister organization. It was funded into existence by big foundations that then lobbied governments to, to sign on to their treaties. And the big foundations still run uh, that organization today. It's, it's going to be the, the hardest world system we've ever seen in it. It's going to be a world tyranny, in fact, run by the United Nations. We don't realize that almost every law that's passed on the books across the planet 
through environmental laws, even your septic tank, your building codes, electrical codes, everything, your conservation codes, and all the laws, all of that comes from the United Nations. That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and the government simply signed them into law, and that's, that's how it's all working. And it has been since 1945 or 46. So we're, we're in big trouble with the UN. And I find that even in the patriot movement, there are people who eventually uh, get offered offers to join the United Nations in a certain branch as an NGO group. Now, if, what it says in the United Nations Charter, if you uh, come in as an NGO and you want to belong to the UN, you must accept all of its legislation, all of its charter, all of its mandates. Yep. Yeah. Not just some of them, but all of them. You must yeah. be ultra-politically correct. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because the the ICC international codes are coming out, the new version. International Code Council. The International Code Council uh, codes are coming out in 2009, the latest version. Yeah. And that's exactly what they state. You either take the whole thing or else. Yes, that's right. And and I was surprised even when, the, I think it was the National uh, Rifles Association in the U.S. had joined uh, as an NGO, the United Nations. I thought, well, they've accepted every mandate of the U.N., and there's people that we th- that we think we know that have that have a- accepted uh, seats on different boards in the UN as well. We were talking about that before we went on the air. Yeah. About yeah, yeah. Uh, Nick Bigage was yes. one. He uh, <clears throat> he was launched by the CBC. He put up very good information uh, on uh, harp technology. In fact, he was a, probably the expert that suddenly came to the public's attention through the CBC. Yeah. And he, he, um, he then uh, showed on television, on the Wendy Mesley show, CBC again, uh, all these instruments that the CIA were using back in the 50s. And you could put these little gadgets in your pocket, like a TV remote, and, or, and then aim it at someone and they'd hear thoughts in their head. This, this is gadgetry from the 50s. It was all obsolete, but you cannot buy it at the Army surplus store. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered, how on earth did they dump all this stuff on him? And then he went over and demonstrated the same uh, technology to the European Parliament. And uh, that takes a, a lot of um, strings to be pulled to do that, too. And then the next thing you know, he's, uh, he's off at the United Nations. He has a seat in, the, I think it's the, the treaty or something, to ban in, uh, space weaponry. He's in charge of that. So they, they get you on board if you didn't. If that was not part of the plan, they will try and get you on board eventually, yeah. or perhaps they've sent you out in the first place to 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 collect your following of people, and then when you join the UN, they go, they come with you. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, uh, but we know they exist. We know yeah. the infiltrates exist, and you know that's one of the best ways to cripple the patriot community. In fact, one talk show host I know uh, made a statement to me one time when we were talking about this very subject. He said the patriot movement, he said he, he made a prediction back in the late 80s that the patriot movement would become the very thing that it was trying to fight. Yes, uh, I think so. And, and that was standard, too. There was a book put out years ago. It was called uh, You Can Trust the Communists. <laughs> it was a very good book, uh, an in-depth expose of how they infiltrated all movements in the United States Mm-hmm. and eventually ran those organizations. And they would take years often to work a person up into leadership position and then change direction with the group. Um, we know from the Norman Dodds Commission 
under the Rees Commission from yeah. 1953, I think it was, yes. yeah. mm-hmm. when they found that the big foundations, especially the one at Ford, they, it was admitted the Ford uh, CEO said that their job was to gradually amalgamate uh, the U.S. into with the Soviet system for the future. Yeah. So they knew back then they were going to bring in a Sovietized world system to govern the people worldwide. And then we, we find in the Club of Rome, another big foundation think tank connected with all the other big think tanks and foundations, they came up with, with the idea in the 70s, uh, and, and they, they published their book in the 90s uh, called The First Global Revolution. They said they'd studied all the systems of the world, and the one that they wanted to bring in for the future for the world government was collectivism, meaning communism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have the Sovietized system manifesting openly uh, across the world today. It's, it's in the open. They just they simply don't call it Soviet. They don't call it communist. They call it globalist. But it, when you see the, the dictates that are coming down from bureaucracies, many layers of bureaucracies, uh, it's the entire Soviet system. Uh, and it's on steroids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. And this is the thing I'm trying to get across to people even around here locally because I, I work with our uh, city council here locally, and I've been all but <laughs> just screaming at the top of my lungs about this stuff. I hate to even call it a council because, you know, another definition of council is Soviet. I know. I agree with you. But <laughs> one of the things that um, I had a guy come to me the other day who is a, a friend of ours. He's a, he's a plumber. And... Um, we were talking about codes, and he was talking about how he hated the ICC, mm-hmm. but he he was in favor of the Uniform Code, code Council as opposed to the ICC. But they're, they're an and international... And the problem is they're an international bunch, too. And, and see, the argument that I get, Alan, when I approach <coughs> this is that, well, we need standards. We need to protect the consumers so that we can guarantee that uh, when he buys a piece of property that it's going to be up to snuff and everything's going to be uh, as uh, as it should be. And I keep telling him, I said, yeah, but the problem is, I said, there's so much room for mischief in all this stuff. I said, you know, it's like I told um, some of the people on our city council, I said, now right now, I said, we're trying to be, we're trying to be decent to the public. We don't, lord, we try not to lord power over them, at least most of us don't. We got a few that we got one, uh, I think, that we might that have an like issue to. with. But uh, most of us are trying to be decent and, and forthright with the citizens here. But, you know, we but, you know, we're, while we're trying to do the right thing, I can't get it across to people about just how sinister this whole thing is. It, it sounds right. It sounds good because we want people to, to well, slick packaging to we want people. So we're told. This is what we want as people when they go to buy a house or buy uh, any property, that it's the way it should be. But there's way more to it than that. And what would you say to people like that? Well, when you literally look at what they're doing, it's what they're doing uh, that tells you their mandate. And and what they're doing uh, is making it impossible to keep up with the codes that they keep upgrading every year or two. uh, And it's going to cost thousands of dollars for every kind of upgrade that they, they tell you you must do. Uh, it's a way to get people off the land. That's uh, You see, in this world system we're coming into is to be the habitat areas only that humanity is yes. designated to. That's the Agenda 21 at the United Nations. Yeah. And uh, they want everyone off the rural areas by every and all means possible. And the easiest way, of course, is, again, the power of the purse. They price you out by all their mandates and upgrades, etc. And even if you comply two years down the road, they'll, they'll say, well, that's the old law. We'll just upgrade again. Uh, he's another $15,000 for your septic. 
have it done by next week or we'll fine you. Yeah. And what they're doing, they're actually fining people by the day thousands of dollars. So this is not an attempt to help you or encourage you or coerce you even. It's an attempt to get you off the land. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And and this is the thing. And, and you know, I can understand the attractiveness of, of, of standards in some ways because, I mean, to look at, like, for example, under... ISO, it's like, uh, see, you have to have big picture thinking. It's like I was telling this uh, friend of ours last night. I said under ISO standards, I said one of the things that's kind of neat that's come along is that have you ever noticed, Alan, that here lately all the all the power cords, like the power cord that plugs in the most computers will fit just about anything on the market now. I mean, this, the same cables that I use to run all of my computers here will fit my mixing board, will fit my... Um, uh, well fit just about anything. One one of my routers takes them. It's a standard cable, male female. One on the you know the the standard AC plug on one end and a standard connector on the other end that all appliances now are taking. So it's far easier now just to grab a cord out of the box and throw it in there and plug it in. The only problem with that is while you can't argue with that, it's the big picture. It's the other stuff that they want That's to do right. down the road. Yeah. And as things tighten up, that we're going to get into trouble. And see, this is where they get you. They start out with something that looks good. Well, they have to do that to sell you the slick packaging. And then after they sell you the slick packaging and get you adapted to it, say, yeah, well, I kind of like this. This standard's kind of neat. I've got, I got uh, like in the case I was talking about these cords, I've got 50 of these cords laying around. I can just go pull one out of the junk box, and I've got power to my computer or whatever. That's kind of neat. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. The only thing with those cores, be careful at the end because some of them have have the the positive uh, in the inner core and some have them in the outer core and you can blow you can blow things. Oops. Yes. Yeah. Check check that. You'll see there's a little diagram there. So be so be careful with that. But what you're, what you're getting at is a standardization process. Yeah. Everything is being standardized, and uh, and if, and as they become standardized, choices become limited. That's another key to it as well. Yeah. You find in all the stores, you're seeing the same products, and really, when you, there are a variety of stores, but it's the same purchasers for all the stores. Yeah. So the, the purchasers themselves are starting to narrow uh, what they're going to purchase, and you, you're finding things are, are just not appearing in the stores anymore. You're left with the same two or three uh, choices to make, maybe even the, the one choice eventually to make. And that, again, is part of the agenda. See, as you said before, we're, we're turning into a third world status. That's the, that is the agenda. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, you're and, exactly and, right. And in third world countries, and I noticed this in third world countries, uh, you, you never found anything you'd buy on the stores that worked. They were all B or C grade items that were re- rejects, usually. We're finding the same things here. Things don't last very long. Uh, things cannot be repaired. You're just throwing them out. Yep. They're technically junk. Um, and so they're turning the whole world, but primarily what were the first uh, countries that we were brought down to this level of, of buying uh, poor quality products. And that's also a sign of the standardization process. The elite, mind you, will all, always have their special sources for supplies, uh, but the general public will be very limited in what they can buy. Yeah, yeah. and this, right. is, uh, this is another uh, doublespeak because on the one hand they're talking about how we must not pollute the environment, but yet they're unleashing all this junk that's just fit for just that. Yes. Oh, yeah. So it's a, it's a doublespeak. In other words, it's all designed to take more money out of you when they force you to, um, to constantly uh, go and have to recycle something all the time, mm-hmm. where if they put something out the way they were supposed to, it would last and you could repair it. Um, yes. 
Well, actually, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing according to the agenda. Well, that's though. exactly right. But and that's another issue that I found too. If you go into some of these electronic stores, like here in the states, I don't know, you have them up in Canada, Radio Shack stores. Yeah, they're they're owned by Circuit City. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you go into Radio Shack, you'll discover they don't have the the project boxes for do-it-yourselfers that want to build their own items. Uh, that's yeah. that's starting to disappear. They don't want that. They want you to buy from just very few vendors, whether it be electronics, whether it be uh, well, know, that'll sure put the stuff kibosh, for your home or whatever. That'll sure put the kibosh on invention now, won't it? Invention and repair, because at one yes. time you could go in and you'd buy transistors and condensers and things and so yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they have. I know it's true because I I saw something in the newspapers about that. They were phasing out all the, the little component parts of the stores. Yeah, 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 and you're seeing that now. It. Now it's relegated. To, uh, you can still get it, but you got to go to some place. Uh, that's specifically geared for the extremely um, uh, advanced advanced yeah. business, you know, like yeah. these wholesale stores. Mm-hmm. And what they do, the way they fix them up, and uh, I'm sharing this not only with you but with the audience because I've been through this. They will set these stores up to where you have to, where it's wholesale, but you, unless you're a business, you can't open an account there. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking of the gray bar electronic stores. If um, yeah. I've run into some, some of this of with some of them, and I've also run into it with some other stores when I was up in Kansas City looking for parts for something, they are trying their best to make sure that you do not have access to parts to try to build anything. They want you to buy it off the shelf as is, and if you don't like it, tough. It's pretty Man. much the way it is, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and that's all done the, the 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 scale, you know, even right down to chainsaws, things that that you could use for years. Yeah, they call them throwaways now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you use them for a season, maybe two or three guys will chip in. They buy the saw, they, they cut their wood, and, and it's ruined by the end of the season. Yeah, and yeah. it's not worth repairing because it's all plastic parts inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm finding that uh, more and more uh, uh, with things that just, they just break because it's a little plastic. Uh, yeah. Plastic yep. moving parts and the plastic breaks off and it's done. Yes. Yeah, I know exactly what you said. Go ahead, Trish. Now I wanted to sort of sort of change the subject a little bit and get into the the deeper meanings and that sort of thing. What is esoteric and what is exoteric? What do you mean when you use those terms? Mm-hmm. The, the simple exoteric is is the the superficial explanation that's meant for the masses. In, on any topic, uh, the esoteric is, is, is simply that which is hidden or occultic from the masses. And how it works is, is very simple. We're all trained uh, to learn the alphabet, to, to learn by rote and repetition, uh, but we're never told why or what we're looking at uh, and so on. And in other words, we're not taught or, or encouraged to think or, or try to investigate things. We're taught simply to repeat. And when we grow up, we tend to, to have that same mentality. We expect the media to give us uh, the story, the real story, the full story on any topic. And, and that never happens. The media's job is to keep us still living in the exoteric world uh, where things happen willy-nilly, out of the blue, um, and, and governments run into action to deal with crisis one after another. Uh, and there's nothing further from the truth. In other words, it's deception. As simple as that, it's deception. Um, uh, the esoteric side of things is meant for the higher-ups, those who really know what's going on, 
and uh, and they don't give that out to the public. Signy Brzezinski himself said in his book Between Two Ages, he said that shortly, and that was in the 70s, I think, he said shortly the public will be unable to reason for themselves. All they can do, all they will do, is to repeat what they've been told on the previous day's news. In other words, we're downloaded, and sure enough, you go to work, and, and whatever was the main topic on news is what they're all talking about at work. That's the exoteric world, and that is there intentionally to stop the public from knowing um, the real machinations that are going on uh, we were being guided to. We do forget, you see, and we're not taught this at all. Uh, we're taught to think, as I say, by uh, the theory of accidents. All, all things that happen is just one big accident, one after another. Uh, we don't realize that, that the main part of power and governance and holding on to power is to plan, always plan, and bring in the future that you wish from the top. And that's what they do. There's nothing happening on a main scale in our lifetime that wasn't planned long before we were born. I was going over an old book by Winston Churchill, and it was prior to the Second World War II uh, that he published it, and he said that um, uh, eventually we'll have to invade uh, Iraq, he says, or that area that's called Iraq now. He said uh, because of the vast quantities of oil that they have, he says we'll have to have a joint effort to go in and get it. So there's nothing that happens in our lifetime that wasn't discussed in big meetings by the very wealthy, powerful people long before we were born, including this globalized society and the kind of society they would produce, which truly is a collective. Now, many books appeared between the two world wars when the eugenicists uh, that are really at the top uh, of this whole movement of world government uh, and the very rich and powerful publish many books, often under their own names, uh, outlining this agenda, what kind of world they wanted, being very blatant about the fact that there was too many people, uh, too many of the wrong kinds of people, ordinary people, that they called profane or base, and they'd have to uh, find ways to sterilize them and, and reduce their populations. Yeah, and, and lo and behold, we find out that they've been studying us for 50 years, since 1950, as uh, all the, the, the phthalates, that's the artificial estrogens, and the bisphenol A was introduced into our foods. They've watched us become sterile, sterile year after year, right to the present time, and kept fairly quiet about it. And now they're publishing all their data, and after the fact, and saying yes, um, men, almost 80-odd percent of men are sterile, and of the ones who are still fertile, they only have 15% sperm that's actually motile or able to move in the right direction. Uh, so they've accomplished their task, but they, they wrote so much about this and even the ways they do it to the public between the two world wars and right after World War II, and then they went quiet again as they created more foundations, more think tanks, more globalized systems, uh, to bring all of this new system in. So um, we run by an occultic system of those who understand power, yeah. and they know how to use it. There's a science to power that the public are never let into. Yes. A real science behind it, and it's a science of the total comprehension and understanding of the average human being's mind. Uh, they study us from birth. They know what a child will be interested in at the age of 5, 10, 15, 20, right up through your lifetime. And there's a marketing company specializing in every age group 
to give you your thoughts, your cartoons, your propaganda, uh, right through your entire life. Uh, that's how well we're managed, and they call it scientific management. And the yeah. reason they know this is because they've planned it all along. This is how they know uh, what you're going to be interested in, because they give it to us, right? They give it to us, and they, they understand when, I, when a young, young man, uh, his hormones kicks in, they know where his mind is. Right. And, and, and same with the female, and they'll cater to you. Yeah. They, they give you the fashions, they give you the music, they give you the lifestyle, and, and they also give you contraception and so on, and tell you to go and do it. And then you find out from books written long before that was all introduced that they, would, that they would bring in that very system and that they would encourage promiscuity because they had to destroy the religion and the family unit. That was top of the list, actually. Something else I wanted to ask you because uh, there's a uh, some friends of ours who have um, that we've been talking to, and uh, they have a friend. She's a, a a lady that comes over and help. The, the wife has cerebral palsy, so she needs assistance, you know, in her day to day activities. And so they have a friend of theirs that comes over and helps her with some of her chores that she can't do, or what you know, or whatever. But anyway, this particular gal is somewhat up on what's going on because um, uh, her parents you know had at least somewhat of an idea of what's going on and uh, so yesterday I got to talking to her and talking to these friends of ours and I and um, the subject came up about um, the whole business of the marriage certificate and the birth certificate and what I what we were trying to impress upon her was um, not that these people can't just make up laws; they go along. Yeah. But all these items, when you have your children and you um, and you and your children are um, assigned a social security number or birth certificate, and then later the children grow up and they get married, and then they got they think they have to go get a marriage certificate through the state. Mm-hmm. This is the normal way we do things, but in reality, that's not always the way it has been. And from my understanding, and I want to make sure I'm correct on this, and I want to see what you know on this, does that indeed, when you, when a, um, a, when a child is born, they get a birth certificate, or when a couple marries, they have a marriage license, or both, does that indeed make the state a third party then in that relationship? Um, that's what I've been hearing a lot of talk about, and I'm wondering if you knew anything about that. Yeah, there's a truth there. There's no doubt about it. There's a truth there that anything that's registered technically does not belong to the person. It belongs to those that's registered who gives out the registration and keeps the books on registration. That is true. Uh, But the social insurance number was an idea dreamed up by the the American Eugenics Society in the late 1800s and introduced in the 1900s at the the cold, cold water harbor in in uh, New York that was a eugenics uh, society set up there and they said if we can give a, a number out to every individual uh, then um, we can trace them down through their lives we can follow them, their number with the person they marry and other marriage certificates too and then they can keep family histories on the fit and the unfit who are producing children and that really was the initial reason that they came out with the social insurance number you know and that was at Cold Springs Harbor, it was called. If you look into that, you'll find the writings uh, about all of this and how they'd introduce a number for everyone for eugenical purposes. And, and the census would be follow that as well. That was part of it. They also brought in the census, that same uh, eugenic society, 
to, to keep tabs on the medical histories of the offspring, the IQ levels and so on. Yeah, we're told that the census is used to proportion seats in Congress uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> to the uh, districts in which they... Boy, have we been misled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so That's I mean... part of it. We've been... And see, this thing I'm trying to get across to people when I talk about some of these issues... See, we fall for just about everything, including the yeah. churches. I lay a lot of this at the blame, uh, this blame at the churches because of course they're used. They're, the people in the churches the are so ignorant; mm-hmm. they become part of the agenda. And uh, the original idea, when we were talking about the marriage certificate, for example, the original idea behind that was they it was thrown around as the guise of keeping track of people that were interracial, you know, that were marrying between races. It was part of that, but even deeper than that. See, a lot of Americans don't know that their the real history. Hollywood gave most folk their history, and America in the 1800s was scattered with uh, factory towns. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we find the Rockefellers and all these big boys, the Ghouls and so on, the big movers and shakers of their day. They owned these factory towns, and it was a Freemasonic idea. Uh, you'll find if you go into the writings even of Voltaire, uh, Voltaire at one point had uh, a whole town that he ran, and he was trying to see if the, the superior man could run his own little, little city-state. Um, and he it was making, making watches, I believe, and the idea was that everybody would have to come to him uh, and ask for permission to marry. He would match them up, say, yes, this is a suitable or unsuitable partner. They'd look into the history of the person, their physical fitness, mental fitness, and so on. It was eugenics once again. Yeah. Well, they found they were doing the same thing in these factory towns in the United States, where, where the, the guy who owned the town, many towns often, would, would own the stores, the rental accommodation, everyone rented. Yeah. He'd even bring in a minister who, would, who was told what to preach to the people to keep them passive and content. Uh, they used tokens instead of money, and you had to spend the tokens at the company store, and at the end of the week you had nothing left, so you had to stay for another week, and, and so on and so on. That's the real history behind it. But they were, So they were doing eugenics uh, experimental data and collecting that data and writing about it in their own eugenical journals of that period. So we've got to understand that this eugenics idea of superior types and inferior types has been here for a long time. When they, they came up with the idea of introducing a social insurance number uh, to study and track and, and trace all the different peoples, and they have all this data in government data banks, uh, all your offspring, all your relatives, uh, any possible hereditary illnesses and mental illnesses. They have all of that data down in the eugenics banks, I call them. And um, uh, it was members of the Council on Foreign Relations who initially uh, advocated uh, that the census be brought in uh, full strength. Yeah. It was the same Council on Foreign Relations that wanted this, the, the uh, social insurance number to collect taxes from the people, income taxes. And when they were doing that in the United States, uh, their parent organization, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, was bringing forward the same bills, bills in the Parliament of England. So, and they take credit in their own writings for introducing these bills. Absolutely. And maybe uh, in case we have new listeners, because there's always new people that come on board and they're probably saying, what in the world is he talking about? What is eugenics? Explain to, um, in your own words, what eugenics is so that... Uh, uh, maybe some of our new listeners would have an idea of what in the heck are we dealing with here? Well, it, it burst forth from from the writings of Charles Darwin. Uh, 
Darwin did not come out with anything new. He was simply put there at the right time by a big powerful group and the Royal Society in England to manifest into the public's mind an idea where science would overthrow again religion and bring in a sort of a humanist agenda where there was nothing out there except more humans and here's all humans are, we're just simply evolved species of animals and to get us to believe that we are just animals. If we could believe that, we'd throw out the door uh, the rights, the sacred rights of the individual being a sacred person with a spirit and so on. If they could nullify that and bring in nothing but materialism, then we would allow ourselves in the future to be managed by specialists. That was part of the whole agenda. And out of it came uh, superior types of humans, inferior types of humans, because it was an incredibly, arrogantly snobbish uh, idea. Uh, the U.S., for instance, uh, brought out this eugenics program funded by the Rockefellers. They funded the whole thing into existence in the U.S. They ran and put forth bills in the Congress which forced, had forced sterilization for what they called the feeble-minded. And many people could be uh, classified as feeble under their, their very wide definitions. And uh, they even had their, their own magazine out where they showed you superior families that had photographs and superior family of the month. So this stuff did not begin in Nazi Germany. It began really in London and then in the United States of America. And eugenics truly believes, as Charles Galton Darwin wrote in the 1950s, 1952 or three, in his book, The Next Million Years, on behalf of the Eugenic Society, he said, if we don't eliminate the, the, the inferior, the unfit, the mentally in, uh, unfit, he said they'll overtake us by their breeding, and, and, and we basically would wipe them out. So their idea was that they had better wipe us out first by all and every means possible. Yeah, and there's a very wide definition. Um, <clears throat> the people they call feeble and unfit are not necessarily just that. I mean, now we do have a bunch of people that are being brought out of the uh, public schools today that are not being taught um, what they should be taught, but that's not only is that different, but yeah. it's a planned program that yeah. these people actually, if they don't know, become victims of because I've always been under the idea that everybody, if taught, has the ability, I mean, now granted, you're going to have some people that are slow. I mean, we've known that all along. But everybody, if you give them a chance, can learn a lot more than what's being put forth in our uh, in our uh, government-run schools that we see all over the place today. They, they're creating the very, um, they're actually really creating the very thing that they're talking about there, aren't they? They are. And against a planned takedown, I think it was Gatto. Uh, put out a book there on the history of education yes and and uh, the dumbing down of america i think it was another book and mm -hmm. so uh, there are books out there with the histories of this with with not with guesses but direct quotes from those in the upper echelons of education and of course all education now uh, comes out of Uni united nations unesco yes uh, their job was to set up a system under uh, julian huxley the brother of, of aldo huxley uh, a system worldwide of, of standardized, not education as you thought of it, but social engineering to make people uh, fit for a world system. Uh, I should say make them fit by making them mentally unfit because the idea was not to educate them to survive in society, 
the education, the, the system was to make them more uh, acceptable to all authority governing their lives. That really is the whole point of it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and you, and another ahead, term for eugenics is, uh, I understand, is bioethics. They changed their, their term. In fact, I was looking into one of the big eugenic societies' website, and uh, uh, they changed the term. Some of their members were bemoaning or bewailing the fact that they'd actually changed it, but they'd settled on the term bioethics. And we know, for instance, um, that when I think it was Dolly the sheep first uh, was presented to the public, the first cloned sheep, uh, at least at least at that level, they had done it long before at much higher levels. Um, but when they presented it to the public, suddenly on every television station across the planet, we had these new scientists we'd never heard of before called bioethics uh, counselors or scientists. And these were simply the, the existing eugenical societists, uh, scientists that had changed their term into bioethics because eugenics got a bad name during the Hitler yes. era. Yes. You see, so they changed it. And, but it's the same thing. Now, all, all bioethics committees uh, have their basis on, uh, built upon genes. They're all geneticists, basically. Yeah. And anyone who goes into the whole area in university of gen- genetics is immediately indoctrinated into, into this idea of eugenics, superior types, inferior types, that all things, including intellect, are passed on genetically. It's, it's a, a priori. There's no questioning that part. It's, 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 it's never been allowed to be questioned uh, at all or debated. So you must accept that uh, right at the, in the, on your foundation of university going in. And on that premise, they build their whole, uh, their whole uh, story of where the world is supposed to go with them leading the charge to and give enhanced types of genes to certain people. In other words, rebuilding all of society uh, step by step, intergenerationally, until we accept that all of us are imperfect at the bottom. And therefore, we should not breed in the normal, old-fashioned way. Not only that, we're not, we shouldn't really be picking our own mates. We can't, we're, not off, we're not competent to pick our own mates. Only specialists can do that for you. And they want the right to go in uh, to the, the sperm and the ovum and literally extract what they call defective genes and replace them with better, new, improved genes. Uh, that's their whole, that's their whole um, uh, mandate, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the sad part of it is is that this is where this gives rise to the term useless eater and that's something that folks is very very dangerous when you go down that road because um let me give you an example and I want to get your take on this after I throw this out there uh, Alan. Terry Schindler Shiva was not thrown out there on TV for no reason at all despite the fact that the gal yeah she had some some brain damage from what her husband did to her I'm I'm convinced that guy beat the snot out of her otherwise she wouldn't have wound up in the shape she was in um we did some research on this yeah. and um um found out how the attorney that was involved for Mike Shiva was very heavily into the occult along with his wife and uh, this was all the, about this dying with dignity, and they were trying to portray starving to death as dying with dignity, when in reality it's one of the most horrible ways to die. But they had to do this for a reason, and that reason was to move the population in a direction to start accepting and being desensitized to people starving to death. What is your take on this, Alan? There's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt whatsoever. Uh, and to be honest with you, they've, they've done this before. 
So why did they pick this one case? And it was to make it, it what they call it is raising public consciousness or awareness. This yeah. is the term all the big foundations use yes. to get us to just change our way of thinking and adapt into their, their way of thinking, to accept how we're supposed to think and to agree with them. And it works very, very well the way it's presented to the public, no matter what the topic is. I know, yeah. Uh, so, so they picked her and they made sure we all got our daily dose of it. Uh, and, and of course, it's to get people even arguing amongst themselves at home. One will take one side, one will take the other, and yeah. and that's how you so-called you, you raise public awareness. Uh, but uh, it was also to get it on the books, on the, the books of law. That this, this was a first case authorized by uh, the government uh, in legal termination of someone who was not a criminal. Uh, so it was to get it on the books. That was the main. One of the main reasons they, they did this, and of course, the way they'll portray it in the history books eventually is that the public didn't object. That's what they always do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I mean, and the problem is those who did object were drowned out by those who did not, exactly. and there were there was yeah. a sizable amount that didn't. I can tell you when, when uh, Trish and I went up to the local restaurant here in our town, I actually ran into people who thought that was that he should have had the right to, uh, to do that, do whatever yeah. he did. Yeah, and and again, that you see that again is a mandate. Uh, the United Nations, you have to go into their departments of population control. Yes. And look at all of the all of the different documents that are in there, all of the the the, the minutes of meetings they've had, and read through them, and you, you'll be astonished at all the things that they are mandating. And euthanasia worldwide is to be brought in. It's just been legalized, I think, in uh, Switzerland, a certain type of death. They're publicizing mm-hmm. it right now. Yeah. Holland went that way. Yep. And uh, Holland's already killed a lot of people they shouldn't have. The one was a nun uh, who would never have uh, acquiesced to having been terminated, but they say that it was a mistake on their part. Yeah, so, yeah. Not, so regardless, <laughs> that they're killing people off. And um, see, the, here's the danger in this. Now, all down through the, the centuries, all down through the centuries, it's no secret that families have helped people on their way at times through medication and, and so on. Now, when the, the difference here is, this here's a big difference. This is where government wants to come in and mandate your death. This is a different thing altogether. This is taking choices away from people and, and, and forcing one choice only on people. That is what government's all about in, in this particular case. Government can never be given the power to come in and, and, and mandate that someone be euthanized. Yeah, right. and, and see, that's a scary part of the whole thing. they got to get you to accept it, and then once they get you to accept it, then they come in, and that becomes the only choice. I mean, yeah. it's one thing if you yourself choose to take your own life and not harm others along the way. I mean, if you yeah. decide to kill yourself, that's your business. But when you start asking the government, asking to, the okay government to okay it, and then the government mandates who lives and who dies... Yeah. Um, it's not very long till the disabled and the infirmed are the first ones to go, the elderly. Mm-hmm. And the bad part of that is, is before you think that's such a good idea, any one of us right now are a stone's throw away from something that could that could disable us, a stroke. Uh, absolutely, and, and it could also creep up the, the ladder too to to the unemployed. Yeah, and, and a, the world that's coming in, there's going to be masses of people unemployed. Yeah, uh, living in misery. And they've already mandated in one of, some of their, their, their writings that uh, depression itself, it could be reactive depression to being unemployed, 
there might be enough cause for them to allow suicide. To, mm-hmm. to suicide yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Washington yeah. State's been the latest one here in the United States to allow for, quote-unquote, doctor-assisted suicide. And this is all an incremental step. See, all this stuff comes in steps, and and uh, that's why we're discussing these things. We're cutting through the matrix here, and that's that's a good title of your broadcast, Alan, because it is really a matrix that unless you sit down and you analyze it and you think it through, it's real confusing until you sit down and you analyze it and you discover these people know exactly what they're doing. There's nothing confusing about it at all, but they want you to look at it as confusing and eventually you just give up and ignore it, pretend like it doesn't exist. The only problem with that is is that when you pretend like it doesn't exist, then sooner or later it'll come and bite you in the rear end and you'll be forced to face it. Yeah, yeah we we're all going uh, to be forced to face a lot of things to, to most folk right now, it would be unimaginable. Uh, they do plan to make vast changes and really bring uh, the Americas down to, to our almost a third world status. They, you know, we've all lived through the transference of factories to China yeah. in the 80s, and then they sped up drastically in the 90s. Most folk are even today unaware of all the treaties and negotiations that, that went on for years between the U.S. and the Europeans and China. Uh, at top levels of government to make this happen. It didn't happen by private business doing it on its own. It was all government um, mandates. And so they discussed at the start what kind of world, what kind of world America would be in uh, once it was all completed without any work for for manual laborers and so on. Uh, So they, they, they went through, they used think tanks to go through all the causes and effects and ripple effects and so therefore nothing is ever a surprise to them. Um, and they talked about the necessity of bringing the United States down to blend into the system that it helped promote. See, the U.S. has funded this whole agenda for the yeah. last hundred years, and now it's basically bankrupt. And I go into the writings of Toynbee, Arthur Arnold Toynbee and others, yeah. who were taught at Oxford University, top people in their fields, internationalists all he ran the road scholarships for world governments and he said the u.s uh, would would uh, go through after world war ii it would be involved in many policing and war actions it would falter appear to fail that was vietnam this is long before vietnam came along mm-hmm. he said it would rally again and appear to 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 be winning once more this is the middle east and then he said when that is happening right back at home he said uh, they'll, they'll, they'll declare a bankruptcy that's happening and that was written long years ago oh yeah, yeah. and so, it's very certainly. clever in that all the uh all of our soldiers and stuff being overseas if you had anybody in their military that wanted to defend the country against uh, this globalist agenda they can't do it because they're all scattered all around the world mm-hmm. and they're all being put- bases over 700 bases across yeah. the world yeah yes. yeah and this yeah. is all done by design you know i i get so sick and tired we had one gal, she keeps sending us email occasionally, um, you know, things so syrupy over the issue of this war. and, and uh, The latest thing I got was a picture of a warship that was supposedly made from steel from the World Trade Center. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we just, it, it was so sickening, I was looking for a stomach distress bag oh, and I couldn't yes. find one. And oh. we tried to tell this person over and over and over again that uh, you need to re-examine, first of all, what 9-11 was truly all about. Secondly, uh, you're being lied to. Yeah. And uh, they, and some but of she them... she doesn't want to see Some that, of them don't so. want to know. They just want to know the syrupy garbage that they get. 
that people keep passing around, and, and boy, there's enough dif- disinformation over that. Oh. Yeah, oh. and there's also a big, a big fringe element of crazies, too. Yeah. You've got to understand there's a lot of crazies that they go into all this, and, and they go off in all kinds of directions. Uh, that's called the fringe element, and uh, as you say, nothing, no proof will ever, even, even if proof came from uh, the people who killed Kennedy, if they came out in the public and said, yeah, we actually did it, we're the guys, yeah. they still wouldn't believe it. You know? yeah. I know, that's absolutely. Right. Stand by, Alan, we'll we got break, break coming, and, and we'll right come back, back with more. You're listening to the Information Corner. Our guest is Alan Watt, and we're uh, cutting through the matrix here. It's just so much, it, it, I'll tell you, this is not joyful information. But Alan just delivers it with a clarity and a style that I don't think anybody else can. And this is one of the reasons that, folks, we should cherish the work that he's doing. Yes. And uh, I I beg of you, uh, do what you can to help Alan out. We're going to do it. Trish and I have some plans to get a few unnamed people um, (laughs) some of his books in addition to getting some for ourselves. So um, that's on our agenda to do. And so we're going to do that as, uh, as, uh, you know, as as time comes up here uh, in the next month or so. Uh, Definitely got to do it. Anyway, stand by. We're going to take the break. We shall return momentarily. Oh, there's a whole lot more to come in the next hour. Sam and Trish will be back right after these messages. 